0: Today's sermon text is John 13, verses 31 through 35. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, Where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Well, brothers and sisters, I think we're all encouraged to know that Tom is doing well. He is at home and healing, and he's grateful for your texts and your prayers. And so uh, please receive that word from him. And uh, as we begin this new year, we want to be reminded of our uh, mission statement here at Christ's Covenant. Last week, uh, Tom preached on 1 Timothy chapter 6 and how the character of God and ultimately the glory of God helps us to persevere and finish well in the end. Uh, we want to love God's glory here at Christ's Covenant Church. Uh, today, we're going to look at John 13, 31 through 35, and Christ's new command to love one another as he has loved us. Uh, here at Christ's to Church, we want to love God's people. And next week, Philip Taylor will be preaching uh, from Luke 14 of what it means to love God's world as we want to be a church that considers the nations as well. And so as we jump into John 13 here today, there is some background needed for us to understand what's going on in the text. It's always hard to parachute into... A narrative like a gospel. And so we want to provide that for you uh, today. Uh, verse 31, our first verse, most scholars believe that it's Jesus' first kind of um, utterances of his farewell discourse. The farewell discourse is the final conversation that Jesus has with his disciples, and it runs all the way through chapter 17. He's telling them more about the relationship between the Father and the Son. He's preparing them for His departure. He's instructing them to abide in Him, and He's reassuring them that He is going to overcome the world. He tells them in this farewell discourse that He's going to provide the Spirit to them to help them. And so He is providing final instructions to them before He departs. It's kind of like a loved one who is on their deathbed and leaving and giving final instructions to the ones that they love. There's urgency in the heart. There's things that the loved one wants his family to know. Well, that's kind of the context here and what's going on. In John chapter 13, we see that the Passover meal has just occurred up in verse 1. And after that, we see that Jesus does this amazing act of love in washing his disciples' feet And so in this passage here today, I I want us to see and focus on Christ and this new commandment to love one another that he gives us. And we're going to look kind of at three different angles, uh, this new commandment at three different angles. First, we want to look, verses 31 through 33, of what is fueling this new commandment? What's going on in the narrative at the time? Uh, what is Jesus revealing that's helping us understand greater what this new commandment is? Secondly, we want to look at the nature of this new commandment. Verse 34 is going to be helpful in providing us what the nature of this commandment is. He's giving it to his disciples. It's not necessarily an old command, it's a, it, it, or it's an, it is kind of an old command, but it has a new twist to it. So we're going to look at that. What does it mean for the disciples, and what does it mean for us as a church today? And then finally, we want to look at the fruit of this new command, which we'll see in verse 35. And so that's kind of the direction that we're heading today in the text. So start with me in verse 31. When he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the son of man glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once So just a few observations as we consider this new commandment in these first few verses here. Let me first draw your attention to verse 31 where he says, when he had gone out, the he here in this text refers to Judas as we see in verse 30, the verse right above. He had immediately been out after he was identified as the betrayer, the one who was doing the work of Satan in uh, betraying the Son of Man. So Jesus turns to his disciples after Judas leaves and says, now is the Son of Man glorified. What does Christ mean that now is the Son of Man glorified? Well, very simply put, the hour has come for Jesus to be delivered over to the hands of sinful men. Judas has left to betray and Christ is going to be arrested and he's going to die His death will display the glory of God, as we'll get into. And as verse 32 says, it will occur at once. In just a day's time, Jesus will die on the cross for the sins of the world. Notice here that he uses the phrase son of man. Son of man is a phrase that was used by Jesus. In fact, this is the last time that Jesus would use the phrase. But it refers to the salvific historical function of the role that he is to play based on the mandate that the Father has given him to redeem a people. And God is glorified in this. He's glorified in him, and God glorifies him, the Son of Man, in himself, as it says in verse 31. Now, there's a lot going on in verse 31. I think the most helpful way to unknot what Jesus is saying there is actually found in the high priestly prayer in chapter 17 when he says in verse 4 of chapter 17 that he glorifies the father and the father glorifies the son the obedience that Jesus uh, gives to the father glorifies the father and then the father glorifies the son in himself by exalting him over all things as a reminder for us of what glory means simply put it's The heaviness, it's the weight of who God is as revealed in the scriptures. This is what glory means. So when we say the glory of God, we're talking about something that is placed on a people so that we may know greater who God is. In the Old Testament, God's glory was shown through the physical manifestation of his power, of his Provision, think about how a cloud of smoke by day and a pillar of fire by night was provided to Israel to guide them through the wilderness. Or how he has provided bread that fell from heaven. And it says in Exodus 16, you shall know that I am the Lord your God by this. We know that creation itself cries out for God and reveals God's glory in Psalm 19 and Romans 1. The glory of God fills the temple in 1 Kings chapter 8. We see it because he has revealed as such in the Old Testament. Now, in the Gospels, the glory of God was manifested in Jesus himself. This is where we get to behold the glory of God. It's in the face of Christ. So, when we see Jesus, we actually see the true character of who God is. We see his grace, his mercy, his excellence his kindness, his justice. We see all of his attributes on display. The writer of Hebrews says, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. How is this possible? Well, because Jesus is God. He is the second person of the Holy Trinity, God himself, God the Son, Michael Reeves, a theologian over in England, has a helpful word for this. He says, there is no God in heaven who is unlike Jesus. They perfectly reflect one another. And what this shows is the unity between the Father and the Son. The love that they have for one another. Now, God is revealing the most glorious knowledge about himself Right here, as Jesus says, now is the Son of Man glorified. The cross reveals more about the heart of God than any other revelation. And now that Judas has left, a sequence of events is occurring that is going to reveal more and more of the glory of the Father through the Son. Martin Luther says, the cross probes everything. Which means the cross itself reveals who God is. It shows his loving kindness, his justice. It shows his love for us in profound ways, the most profound ways. The cross also probes probes us. It reveals to us the weight of our sin, the horrors of our sin, the penalty of sin. The cross probes everything. And here in this text, we do know that Jesus here is referring to the cross as he says in verse 36 to Peter that he's going to lay down his life. So the cross is front of mind for Christ when he says the Son of Man is to be glorified. D.A. Carson remarks about the cross is the supreme moment of, defi- of divine disclosure, the greatest moments of displayed glory. Glory. If we want to know the heart of God, if we want to know who God is, we look no further than the cross. We see who he is in all of his glory and all of his majesty. It's not the only way we see the glory of God. In fact, it says in the priestly prayer in chapter 17 that the Son of Man is given all of creation and he gives Uh, his children, eternal life. So we know that it's the atonement of sin uh, that Jesus is glorified in at the cross, but we also know that his exaltation, his resurrection glorifies him as well, and we get to partake in that. But the event has begun, and things are rolling for this glory to be shown to the world. See with me in verse 33. Jesus says, little children, yet a little while I am with you, You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I say also to you, where I am going, you cannot come. Notice here that the Lord's declaration is unique. Only he is able to go on this journey. There is no other. There is one road, and there's one sojourner on that road, and his name is Jesus. And just as he told the Jews back in John chapter 8, he's telling the disciples here, that they are not able to follow him. Now, he does give them good news in chapter 14, verse 3, just a few verses down when he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And so he is going to be reunited with them. But Jesus is instructing them. He's helping them to understand that I was with you here on the earth and I will be with you again at a place that I am preparing for you. But there is going to be a time where you will seek me and you will not find me. And in that time, he's going to give some instructions in the verses ahead for how the disciples are to act. Here's the skinny of the text so far. Jesus is preparing his disciples for life after him. They are not to cease in following him, but the dynamics of those relationships are about to change with Jesus leaving. He is informing them that he is departing and he's departing soon and he will be glorified at once. My question for you this morning is, do you rest in this truth? Do you rest in the truth that Jesus alone is about the Father's glory and about his own glory and that he is willing to walk a path that no one else can go down? It should bring comfort to our hearts knowing that he has kept us from this path, knowing that we cannot finish it. He goes, and he goes on behalf of his people. And we see this in the revealed word. This is why we go to the scriptures every morning, to be reminded of this truth. Look, we send out a Bible reading plan every single January, not as a New Year's resolution, although hopefully it's a good one, but because it's a new Commandment, a new covenant in the blood of Christ that we're trying to remind each other of. This is what the word does. It helps us understand who Christ is, about who he is in his glory and who he is in his sojourning to the cross. Friend, run to the cross. Stay there. Don't ever move away from it. If we don't understand this, then verses 34 and 35 will be impossible for us to understand. It's here, this fuel behind the cross, that helps us understand verse 34. Now look with me at verse 34. Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, that you would love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Now, what is the nature of this new commandment? This command to love one another is not entirely new in one sense, because God had given it to his people way back in the law to love one another. It says in Leviticus 19, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I'll be honest with you, as your pastor this morning, I... I'm tempted to just focus on the ways that we can love one another. But we must first just start and stay with Christ's love for us. Notice what Jesus adds here in this little clause in verse 34. As I have loved you. That is different than what was given in Leviticus. Jesus had manifested love before the disciples so that they could now see what it actually looked like to love someone without considering themselves. Now as we've already mentioned in in, in the context Jesus has washed the disciples feet and he says in verses 14 and 15 he says that their Lord, him and their teacher, he does this to give them an example of how to care for one another as he departs. Can you imagine what it's like to wash feet? Um especially 2,000 years ago when people walked everywhere. They smelled, heels were hard, there's blisters. Uh, who knows what they step in in the road. Uh, the smell, the dirt. And the Lord, the teacher himself, gets before them and he washes their feet. And he tells them in verses 14 and 15 to do the very same thing. This is Remarkable, considering he's the God of all creation. Can you imagine if you're drinking coffee on your deck and the President of the United States just comes by mowing your yard? Uh, We would not know what to do with ourselves if we saw the President of the United States mowing the grass. It, It wouldn't be what he's doing that we would marvel at because grass cutting isn't all that difficult we would marvel at who is doing it. And in a much grander, perfect, and holy way, the Son of Man is now washing the defeat, his feet of his disciples. And he even teaches them that it's actually pointing at something far more. Simon Peter says to him in verse six, he says, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you do not understand now. But afterward, you will understand And Peter said, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, listen to this, you have no share with me. Only Jesus washes. And he's pointing to something far greater, something that he's he's instructing them to love as he is loved, and he hasn't even gone to the cross yet. He's just pointing them to what he's ultimately going to do. And this feet washing is a helpful example Of that. Now, notice in verse 34 that this is a command. It's an imperative. It has weight to it. It's not a suggestion. It's not, if you want to be my people, I'd advise you to do these things. It's a command. He expects his disciples to do this after his departure. He is wanting them to understand that this is what his disciples do. He's describing a new community, a new people that they are to be a part of. He's laying out these new expectations for them. Even in his departure, his love is to be manifested in them. He's leaving, but the love he's displayed is now to be on display Within them. And Christian, this is why we never leave the cross. This is why we never go anywhere. The more we study the incredible sacrificial nature of our King and his sacrifice for our uh, sinful nature, the more we marvel at who he is and the more we understand what it looks like to serve. It kind of helps us forward in what it looks like to love. We come to appreciate Jesus. We come to worship him and follow him. This is the standard that Christ points out. Now, as Jesus goes and dies, he makes us a new creation. He makes us new creatures. And as he says in verse six, or chapter 16 of the farewell discourse, that he then provides the Holy Spirit, which fulfills this new creation covenant in his name. He gives us a new mind and heart as was promised in Jeremiah uh, uh, 31 and, and Ezekiel uh, 36. And, and the spirit forms the community, the church in Acts chapter 2 and, and points us back to Jesus as it says in John chapter 16, 14, and 15. There's a new thing that's going and this new commandment is now, now it's a part of it. Well, how do we love one another today? How do we be about this work? First, it's probably good to be reminded of our natural bent, our carnal flesh, and be reminded about the way that the world defines love because it's very different than the way that Christ is revealing the perfect heart behind love here in the text. Chris Longard, who is... Uh, A pastor wrote a helpful book called The Enemy Within. It's kind of a a present-day version of mortification of sin from John Owen. And this is how he describes sin at work in us. For us to understand love, we must first understand sin. It's inbred, it's working, and it's urging us from the shadows of our heart. Paul said, and it never sleeps, he goes on to say. Paul says sin is living in me in Romans chapter 7 which means it's possible for us to do nice things sacrificial things even loving things with wrong intentions are we aware of that have we recognized our own inclination towards these things we are supremely self-centered supremely and Christ is supremely self-giving and self sacrificing. And if we understand that, then we can move forward on how to love. There's two practical ways for us to really consider love amongst the brethren here, Christ's covenant. The first is we can speak the truth in love to one another, which Paul says in the book of Ephesians. God has given us the word to bathe each other with, to instruct each other with, to admonish and exhort each other with. This can be a very loving thing in the community of God's people, in the fellowship of God. Bonhoeffer said in his little book, Life Together, it's a great little book on community. Listen to this. But God has put his word into the mouth of men in order that it may be communicated to other men. When one person is struck by the word, he speaks it to others. God has willed that we should seek and find his living word in the witness of a brother, in the mouth of a man. Therefore, the Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him. He needs him again and again when he becomes uncertain and discouraged. For by himself, he cannot help himself without belying the truth. He needs his brother man as a bearer and proclaimer of the divine words of salvation. He needs his brother solely because of Jesus Christ. Listen to this. The Christ in his own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of his brother. His own heart is uncertain, his brother's is sure. This is why we have community groups. This is why we have discipleship groups. We have gatherings in which we get together so that we can speak the word of truth in love to one another. David Paulison, who is a late theologian and counselor for Westminster Seminary, says this of Christ, Jesus counseled the word. He conversed the gospel. He used the word to reveal insights that are helpful for those who are his people, uh, showing love and truth, being humble, uh, speaking a word when it's difficult. And we're always to take the word of God to our own souls first so that we're able to do this. I want to make sure that we, we do understand that first. But we want to make sure that we're actually doing this. We're putting it forward. In fact, this very text, Jesus is doing this for his disciples The perfect example is before us in John 13. He has told the disciples in 31 of his glory. He's told them in 33, hey, I'm going on this road and you cannot come. That's good news for you. He's telling them the gospel. He's telling them that they are to love one another just as they have been loved, which means naturally that they were not doing this. They needed to hear what it looked like to be in community with one another after his departure. Jesus is the perfect example of what it looks like to speak the truth in love to his disciples. The question for us is, what is the motivation of of you in community? When you're driving to community group on a Sunday afternoon or a Thursday night, what is the intention of your going? Is it to... Go because you're supposed to go and you don't want to hear about it if you don't go. Is it you're eager to be with your brothers and sisters, to speak the word and truth and love to them, to reveal what God has shown you in the text that week or what you heard from the sermon that was applicable in your life? Are you intentional with the time that God has given you with your brothers and your sisters? Focusing first on the cross, how has Jesus loved us He's loved us in this way and so we're gonna go with intentionality to care for our brothers and sisters by the speaking of the word just as Christ has shown us here in the text. Ask yourself this too. Are you a, car- a conversational narcissist? Do you talk only of yourself or think about only yourself? How often are you bearing someone else's burden? How often are you choosing something over your own or you choosing your own schedule over something that you ought to be doing for the glory of God secondly Jesus also shows us a practical way of loving people not just simply laying down our life as we've already talked about he's washed feet he's going to the cross what are some practical ways for us to lay down our lives it's, look, it's difficult to live in community with one another. We're all very different. I, I'm married to the most wonderful, godly woman I have can imagine, and we're different. We have similar interests, like first being the gospel, um, and we both love our children. <laughs> and there's others. We love our church. We love our community, those types of things. But we're also very different people just as you are with your spouse and just as we are with one another so 13 years into this marriage i'm still learning what it looks like i mean learning what it looks like to lay down my life for my wife it's a constant practice over and over again i've learned that my life my, my wife loves it when i do something without her asking me to do it which sounds basic right <laughs> But for me, it is a struggle. You know, if I you know, if I wash the dishes without her, you know, asking me or taking out the garbage without the gentle reminder. These are simple ways to love her. And the way we can motivate our love very simply is by reminding of ourselves of the cross of Christ first. Sure, I'll wash the dishes. I've been washed. Sure I'll take out the trash. My trash has been taken out. (laughs) We always want to see the cross of Christ first before we go and we serve, but that is the genuine love motivation in, in the way we do this. And that love, even in practice and in the quiet places of our home, ought to spill out to one another the way we love and serve one another. I've been so encouraged by the way that our church family has rallied around Brenda in the passing of Tony. We will glorify God in celebrating Tony's life this week. Our brothers and sisters have surrounded Brenda. Half of them went down to Florida, laying down their own schedules to minister to her there in Florida and to bring her back to us here in Raleigh. Another half stayed here and prepared her house, uh, got her food, made sure that she was coming home to an ordered environment is laying down their lives to serve a sister in deep need. And that ministry has continued. Now, we can be encouraged by how they love Brenda in this. But what I want us to see is we are to capture what they have been captivated by, which is God's love for them. And when this happens over and over and over again in community, then all of a sudden we begin to see really sweet ways that God's love for us has manifested in the cross and here amongst us. There's ways we can provide meals. I saw Ashley Pritchard here. Uh, Help people move. Contact Daniel Harmon for that. There's ways that we can serve one another in practical ways. And guys, we do this really well at our church. But none of us are have stopped the process of growing in this until we see the face of Christ. Helpful questions for us to consider. You might say, well, Blair, I really don't like being around people. Or there's a lot of history between certain people and me. And it's just hard to lay down my life for them. I I get that there's... You know, we all get that there's hurts and there's difficulties, and that there's natural human inclinations with us not to think about that first. But I think Bonhoeffer here is actually helpful as well when he says, I must leave my brother his freedom to be Christ's. I must meet him only as the person he is in Christ's eyes. We're all a work in progress. And we often give ourselves all the grace that Christ gives us but not our neighbor. (laughs) What if we did both? Just as Jesus has done. Care for one another. Now, the good news is and this love that manifests itself inside the community actually bears fruit. Look with me in verse 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So this new commandment, this love that is manifested in us because of Christ's love for us, bears fruit. It has a significant outcome. Now, Philip will be preaching next week on what it looks like for Christ's covenant church to love God's world, and he's got plenty of applications he'll be bringing to us. And so I, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but I do want us to see what the text is saying. What Jesus is saying, when we love one another, the world takes notice. It's amazing how Jesus always has his eyes on the nations. It never stops with the church. Discipleship with one another, these discipleship groups, our community groups, it's never meant for that to be the end in and of itself. Jesus himself has the nations in view here. And this is This is what this literally means. If we are a loving community, if we are loving one another when we are gathered, that means a non-Christian will come to Christ's covenant and they will see our love for one another and they will know that we belong to Jesus. They might not be able to articulate it. They might not know what it means. But they'll know Well, they're following the one that they're proclaiming. That's what Jesus himself says. That's the completion of discipleship is when the nations recognize that we belong to him. Church father, Tertullian, wrote, it is mainly the deeds of a love so noble that lead many to put a brand upon us. It was Ambrose's life that captivated Augustine. Augustine was captivated by the way that Ambrose interacted and lived and thought, cared for people that ultimately led Augustine to sit before Ambrose's preaching of the gospel, which had a significant impact not only only in Augustine's life but in the life of the church. Our evangelism, according to verse 35, is love. Now, we would all agree that faith comes by hearing and hearing the words of Christ. There is a time to proclaim the word of God and share the word of God. We're gonna have evangelism class here uh, starting in a a month or two. We're gonna learn great things on how we share the gospel. But I don't ever want us as a congregation to pass over the responsibility that we have to get before other people so so that they may see our love for one another and recognize that we belong to Jesus, earning the right to preach the gospel to them. Jesus gives us that right here in 35. So what are ways that we as a church, and help us to think through this as, a, as leadership and staff, we don't have a corner of knowledge on any of this. How do we live amongst people so that they may know our love for one another just as Christ is? saying, here, guys, we can have, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, all the gifts given. We can have tongues of men and angels, profound mysteries of knowledge. We can have all faith to move mountains, but if we do not have love, Paul says, I am nothing. So the application is important. But I want us to know we can't even remotely get to the application until we first sit and stay at that cross of Christ and his love for us and the way that he pushed through pain and suffering, shame on our behalf. This is the good news of the gospel and it stays with us. This new command is a perfect active Indicative, which means it just stays with us. This is the new way in which we live. It never goes away. It's a new command that is true for us all hours of the day. The way that we interact with our spouses, the way that we interact with our care groups, the way we interact with people in our church that we don't know very well. It's a way that we can love and care and serve one another as Christ has washed our feet. Far more than that, he's washed our souls. Let's take the next moments. Just consider these things, these words of Christ from John chapter 13. And ask the Lord, Lord, what work and move in me? Work in ways that I need you to work. And I'll pray for us in a moment.